here this afternoon. I'm going to have you open up with me to 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. We used to do an afternoon service like this when we were in Flint for several years, and one of the things that we would often do is have a brief time at the end for testimonies, not testimony as far as how you got saved, but just if the Lord was working in your life in some way and you wanted to give him public praise about that. So I might be a little shorter this afternoon, and if we have time at the end and you'd like to give a testimony, maybe we'll open it up for uh, some testimonies at the end here. But I'm going to have you turn with me to Second Thessalonians, and we're going to look at uh, the first 12 verses there. And uh, so I'll go ahead and read those now, and then we'll pray and get started with our afternoon message. It says, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting because of your faith is greatly enlarged and of the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed." To this end, we also pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for your goodness and the work of faith with power so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the the privilege of prayer. We thank you that because you gave your son to be the sacrifice for our sins and full payment was made and we have life through him that we can come to you and ask what we need, uh, that we can ask uh, that your will will be done and we just pray that you would encourage us to be more active, more regular uh, in our prayers, but that you would also help us to be more insightful in how we should pray, the kinds of things that we should be asking, the kinds of prayers that you want to hear, things that line up with what you intend to do, and help us not to be uh, preoccupied with the wrong kinds of things or priorities, but to uh, align our requests with your priorities. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So I realize there were some of you that were here last evening when we talked about uh, our passage in Colossians, but many of you weren't, and so I just very briefly explain. Last week I talked about the passage in Colossians 1 where it talks about Paul's prayer request for the Colossians. Many of Paul's letters, he explains the kinds of things that he's praying for them. And as we looked at Colossians last week, the subject that we talked about was praying for people you don't know because Paul had never met the Colossians face to face. And yet he had a very helpful example of how to pray for people we don't know, other believers in Christ, and uh, served as a good example in that way. And we find here in 2 Thessalonians another example of Paul's prayer for the church at Thessalonica. So we see an example here from Paul, and it's specifically found in verses 11 and 12, where after his greeting at the beginning of the chapter, he then uh, dives into explaining for them what his prayer request is. So I want you to look with me, first of all, again at verse 11 and see the content of what Paul is praying for them. Paul says, uh, to this end also we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul starts here with the, the content in verse 11 of exactly what he's praying. It's interesting to note with Paul, several of these prayer requests, we mentioned this last week, but as a reminder and very much a challenge, he talks about praying always. Uh, now I don't think the idea here is that Paul, every minute of every day, was always praying for the Thessalonians. I think the idea is he was very faithful in regularly praying for them, and he was very consistent about it. And perhaps for many of us, that is one of the greatest challenges, is that we will be consistent in praying for the people and things that we need to be praying for. Paul was a great example of faithfulness in that. But we see here specifically what he's asking, and he says, it's that God will count you worthy of your calling. Now, on the surface, that phrase, I think, requires a little bit of explanation. What is, what is calling me? Now, as I understand you, you, you probably went through Romans not too long ago in, uh, in, in your Sunday mornings or Sunday evenings. Um, so maybe you're familiar with Romans 8.30. If, if you don't mind, though, I'll have you turn there with me just as a reminder. I think it illustrates this idea of calling that uh, Paul is referring to. Now, in the Gospels, Jesus speaks of the word calling, but uses it a little differently than I think Paul does. Jesus talks about, in some of his parables, uh, many being called to the banquet but only a few being chosen. And so that idea of calling in those passages is more broad, that it's an, it's an invitation that some will choose to accept and others will not. Um, but Paul, I think, uses calling differently, and we see that here in Romans 8 in verse 30. Verse 30, Paul says, And these whom he predestinated, he also called. And those whom he called, 
he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So when Paul is speaking of calling, I believe the idea of calling is the same found here in Romans 8.30. It's consistent throughout uh, Paul's writings that calling is basically the same idea as being saved or salvation. So then what is he saying in Thessalonians? He's saying that they that God will count or consider them worthy of their calling. Now this also requires some explanation. Uh, we understand, again, if you studied through Romans, you know Romans 3 tells us very clearly that we're all sinners. We all deserve or are worthy of death, and, and that death includes an eternal punishment. So how is it that Paul could be saying we're worthy of our salvation? What does he mean? Well, I think the idea is uh, more in line with the concept of us living up to this wonderful salvation that has, God has given us. Christ died for our sins. He is worthy of our devotion. He is worthy of our service. Like James, we talked about this morning, speaks of himself as a bondservant or a slave to Christ. We should live a life that is pleasing to God, and therefore, in that sense, he's speaking of it being worthy of this great salvation. It's not that we earn it, but that he's given us salvation, he's freed us from the power of sin, and he expects us to live in such a way that honors and pleases him. So that's the idea he's talking about here, that we would live worthily. We would not take salvation for granted. We wouldn't treat it as an insignificant thing, but that we would treat it very preciously and live for him. But I also think he gives us even more of a clue as we look at this passage. He uses the phrase earlier, and so let's go back up to verses 4 and 5, and I think get a little more insight into a specific example of the kind of thing he's talking about. It says in verse 4, Therefore we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions that you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you'll be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. So I believe the idea is tied to the idea of perseverance and faith in the midst of persecution and afflictions. So God is honored when we endure hardship and trials and persecution in a gracious way, displaying the work of God in our lives. It's a sign of his grace in our lives, and we honor him. It's pleasing to him. So Paul is praying that they basically will continue to demonstrate that kind of walk with God, that they would endure graciously the suffering and persecution, the persecutions and afflictions that they're experiencing. So we also can identify with this idea that it's important to uh, behave in such a way or live up to expectations. Um, it's not necessarily the greatest example, but I think, for example, of sports teams. 
Um, if you're a sports fan at all, I'll, I'll uh, go out there and tell you I'm a U of M fan. Uh, so I really enjoy U of M football. Um, do we have some Buckeye fans in here? Oh, that's so good. So refreshing. I, I brought up an example like this at a uh, church uh, uh, a few months ago, and there were some Ohio State fans right in the front row. Um, I'm, a, I'm a Michigan fan. So when you think about Michigan football, if you're familiar, who are our heroes uh, that have played Michigan football, right? So one of them, uh, very prominent front and center right now, is Jim Harbaugh, right? Because he was a good player, had a decent NFL career, and the program was in some disarray for a while, right? And he comes back and he's helping them be competitive again. And so we look at Jim Harbaugh, if you're a Michigan fan, you look at Jim Harbaugh and say, he's a true blue Wolverine. We love that guy. He's worthy to be recognized as a Wolverine. And we appreciate and respect him, right? Because there are certain characteristics of him. He was successful as a player. He did well. He cares about the program. He cares about the, the people in the program, right? So we are proud to recognize him as one of our Wolverines, all right? Now, that's a secular example. Uh, and certainly, you could find flaws with the analogy. But I think you understand the point. God expects his children to live in a way that is worthy of the name Christian. We are called Christians. That name comes from Christ. It talks about in Acts how they were called Christians first at Antioch because they were like Christ. The expectation is that we live like Christ. Have you known people that claim to be Christians but are not, are, are questionably Christians or you would consider horrible examples of the name Christian and you kind of wish they wouldn't identify themselves as Christians because it's actually harmful and destructive to the name? Well, that's the opposite example. And, and Paul here is praying that they will live up to this wonderful, glorious calling they have as believers in Jesus Christ. But the idea also to complete the thought about this is not just that they would try harder. They did need to try harder, but that God ultimately is producing this in them. So God is, I'm sorry, Paul is praying that God will work in their lives in such a way that they will live up to this wonderful and glorious calling that we have in salvation. I don't know about you, but that's not how I'm usually thinking about praying for people, but it is an incredibly challenging idea, isn't it? We need to pray not just that someone gets through a difficult job interview or I mean we do need to pray about those things don't get me wrong but we need to think deeper about the spiritual needs and God being honored and glorified in people's lives that they would live worthy that we would live worthy and it's only possible by God's grace as we'll also see here at the end so he not only prays for them to be worthy of their calling he prays for God to complete the following in their lives look at verse 11 again 
He says that they'd be worthy of their calling and that God would fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. So, again, if you were here last Sunday night, similar concept to what we talked about last week. The idea is God works in our hearts, as it tells us in Philippians 2.13, to, to will and to do of his good pleasure. The idea of the word will is desire. He works in our hearts as Christians with a new nature. He works in our hearts that we desire good things and that we do them. It's the same concept he's getting at here. So let me just walk through a few examples. Have you experienced this too? You know of a coworker or neighbor or family member who needs Christ and you want to witness to them and you have some ideas on how you might approach that. But you get busy, you forget about that, and you don't do it. Have you had an experience like that? That's the kind of thing Paul's getting at. You desire something good, but the power to carry it out, that's what we need. Or um, maybe you know of a younger believer who's discouraged, and you've desired to take them alongside you and, and encourage them and tell them some positive things, spend some time doing discipleship with them. You, you've desired to do this, but your schedule's so crazy you can't find the time. Or something comes up and you forget all about that desire. That happens. Or um, you have in your mind you're going to write to somebody, you're going to write an email to somebody you know needs encouragement. And you forget. You're, you're going to teach your children some things. You have specific examples of things that have happened and you see it as a great opportunity to teach them, but something comes up and it just doesn't happen. We could come up with a thousand examples. Many times we have good desires and we don't end up carrying them out. And Paul's praying about that very concept that God would help us not only to desire what's good, but to act on it and do it and fulfill those good desires that God's put in our heart. That's what he's praying about here. That it will come to completion. Now, going to verse 12, we also see Paul's ultimate goal with this request. What is it that Paul ultimately is concerned about. It says in verse 12, so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified in you. Paul's ultimate concern is through doing these things, through the work of God to accomplish these things, God gets the glory. That's what he's asking for. That God would be honored. That people's impression and understanding of who God is will be elevated because of the work he does in our lives. That's what he wants. He wants to see Jesus Christ elevated. When we go through a hard time and we respond to that gracefully, when we uh, lovingly reach out to an unlovely person, that honors and glorifies God because he's worked in our heart to make us different than how people normally behave. Therefore, God is glorified. That's what Paul wants. That's what we should be praying for as well, that God would be glorified ultimately. It's not about who gets the credit. It's not about what we've done and being recognized for that. It is that Jesus Christ would be glorified. That should be our desire. That should be what our prayers are motivated for. But interestingly, notice 
what he also says here, and he says, and you in him. You in him. Now, Isaiah, we read that God, God doesn't share his glory, right? He is the Lord God, and he doesn't share his glory. He alone deserves to be worshipped and glorified as God, right? So in what sense do we participate? Well, I think it's similar to what we just read in Romans 8.30. God, in working out our salvation, is ultimately going to glorify us as well. We talk about being glorified, the, the final state, and, and we, we uh, spend eternity with God. So I think in part, Paul's looking forward to that time, but we also see in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, it talks about us as we hear and respond to and obey the word of God, it talks about us being changed and us being changed into the image of Christ. And it says, from glory to glory. So there's a sense in which we also are participating in the glory of God as we are changed to become like Christ. And Paul's praying about that, and that's how we should pray as well. And he says, lastly here, as we look at the end of verse 12, he says, all of this is done by what means? How is this all going to happen? It's all going to happen according to the grace of our God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is by God's grace and God's grace alone that this is possible. We cannot please God in our own strength and power. We cannot change and become more like Christ by our own efforts alone. It takes God's working in us to change us, to bring glory to Christ, and uh, to uh, make us what we ought to be. That is by God's grace. Now, we do need to make efforts. We do need to change. But we need to recognize, like Philippians 2, 12 and 13 tells us, it's God who's working in us. It is Him that gives us the good desires, but it is also Him that gives us the power to do it. So we need to pray for God's grace to be at work in our lives and pray for God's grace to be at work in the lives of our fellow believers. We are saved by grace, but we are also sanctified by God's grace. So we need to pray to that end. I encourage you, looking at Paul's prayer here, some challenging thoughts that we would pray that we would be considered worthy of the calling, that we live up to this high and great calling, that he would fulfill the good desires to accomplish his good purposes, and that we would honor and glorify Christ as his grace works in and through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great privilege that we have to be your children to talk to you. Help us, Father, to be motivated first and foremost for your glory and for your honor, not, not just for our comfort and ease, but help us to be motivated for your glory. Help us, Father, to grow in grace that you'd work actively in our lives to bring to fulfillment 
the good desires you've put in our hearts. Help us not to be lazy or make excuses or uh, let wrong priorities cloud out the, the good works that we need to be doing to please you and honor you with our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.